Hello, this is Emma from Real Life Ghost Stories, obviously, and this isn't an ad, I promise. A few weeks ago, we were contacted by Sammy from Out of the Woods Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation. Sammy saw that there was a need for licensed rehabilitators in the Memphis area of Tennessee and set about creating Out of the Woods Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation. This autumn, the centre will open and take in squirrels, raccoons, foxes, opossums, cryptids and some species of birds. It costs around $250 to rehabilitate a baby raccoon and get them strong and fit enough to be released back into the wild. And unfortunately, there is little to no governmental assistance for projects such as this. We'll be donating money to Out of the Woods Wildlife, and if you have the means or desire to donate money, you can too. Each person that donates to the GoFundMe in the month of August will have the chance to win Real Life Ghost Stories merchandise of their choice, And we'll pick five winners at random. It doesn't matter how big or small your donation is because every little helps and you still get an equal chance to win some merchandise. We know that it's a difficult time financially for lots of people. So like always, there's no pressure to donate. But if you still want to help out, liking, following and sharing on social media is also a meaningful way to help small projects grow. Go and follow at Out of the Woods Wildlife on Instagram and check out outofthewoodswildlife.org for links to the GoFundMe and any information that you could want or need. The links for everything will be in the description of each episode of 30 Days of Terror and I'll be playing this little message every five episodes or so. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to day five of 30 Days of Terror. How you do? We are one-sixth of the way there. There. There? Yes. One-sixth. It's us. We're back again. Yes, imagine. People are probably like, fucking unsubscribe. Get out of my ears. I'm so sick of listening to you. I've got three stories for you today. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. That was that was mm, new, new yeah. and alarming. Yes, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> and story number one comes from Samantha. My mum was a very spiritual lady. She'd regularly see obscure wisps of smoke appearing and disappearing through walls. She accepted it as her normal life, so it was hard to spook her. When I was born, she still lived at home with her mum. She slept in a small box room, with me in a dark wooden rocking bassinet next to her. I was generally a quiet baby. However, one night I began to stir, so my mum pulled herself up out of the bed, ready to feed me. That was when she saw the bassinet begin to rock on its own. She heard my stirring stop, but the rocking continued. Eventually, after what felt like forever, the bassinet stilled. So she took me and slept in her mum's room for the rest of the night. 
she'd tell me years later that she didn't feel anything but love from whatever was rocking me. But she's still human, so it creeped her out. When I was eight years old, we lived in an old Victorian house and I had my dream attic bedroom with four younger brothers. It was my haven. The stairs leading up to my room were old, creaky and served as a great alarm system for annoying siblings. One summer weekend, it was raining heavily outside, so we were all stuck inside, annoying our parents. I squabbled with one of my brothers over something and my mum snapped at me. In a huff, I ran to my room and hid under my covers with my arms straight at my side, palms facing up. I slammed the door behind me so I knew I was alone. And that's when I felt it. A cold, solid hand reached under the covers without moving them and enclosed itself around mine. My blood ran cold. But I was a stupid, ballsy kid so I flung the covers back to catch whoever or whatever it was. And nobody was there and the door was still closed. Convinced it was someone messing with me, I ran downstairs to find my family where I left them. I didn't tell my mum what happened until many years later. We moved into a different house when I was 11. It was built in the early 1900s, so it was a little more modern than the old house. When my youngest brother was born, something changed in that house, and suddenly strange goings-on became a regular occurrence. Stuff moving from where he'd left it, lights switching on and off. Nothing too sinister. One night my dad was working late, and we were all in bed, when my mum crept into my room holding a lamp. I asked her what was wrong, and she whispered that someone was in the house. For context, my mum had me when she was very young and my dad didn't come along till I was seven so we were really close. Seeing her this freaked out put me into action. I sprung up and grabbed the closest thing to me which was a naked action man. (laughs) Wielding our weapons, my mum with the lamp and me with the action man, we crept quietly across the landing. The footsteps were heavy like someone was wearing boots. Mum had already checked with my dad and it definitely wasn't him, as he wouldn't be back for another 45 minutes. From the staircase, you could peer around and look into the small kitchen, so we tiptoed down the stairs, all while hearing the footsteps continuing to pace. When we finally got a good view, the kitchen was empty. For some unknown reason, I stupidly shouted, Hello? There was no response, but the footsteps stopped. We waited a few minutes, watching the only entrance in or out, until we booked up the courage to go in. Nothing was there. A few months later, my three-year-old brother sat playing in the living room, when he began to tell my mum how there were two men in big hats, cowboy hats as he described it, and big boots standing in the hallway. Now, I've no idea how cowboy-looking men would have been in a seaside town in the northwest of England, but it freaked (laughs) us out nonetheless. 
For my 12th birthday, my mum wrote me a poem and framed it. It took pride of place on the shelf above my bed. As prepubescent teenagers do, one night I argued with my mum and was sent to bed early. I got into my PJs, turned off the light and went to bed as normal with the door closed. I don't know what time it was when I was awoken by a stinging pain on the side of my face. I opened my eyes and something was covering my face. I reached up and picked the framed poem off my face. I blinked slowly as the main light was on and thought maybe it just fell off the shelf, caused by vibrations or a draft or anything. When I looked up to the shelf, the ornaments and beanie babies I kept on there were perfectly in place. I try not to think too much into it, but I was still freaked out and wanted to make up with my mum. I went into her room, woke her up and told her everything. I slept in with her that night. Soon after this, we moved out of the house and into another one. It was relatively incident-free, apart from the clouds of wispy smoke my mum still saw all of the time. My bedroom, a small box room, was opposite the bathroom. I normally slept with the door closed, but when I was around 15, I began to experience sleep paralysis. It was always the same. I'd wake up, unable to move, as a tall, dark figure leered over my bed. So I started to keep the door open to allow some light in. I didn't tell anyone about it because I knew what sleep paralysis was and I figured it would just pass if I stopped being such a stress head. That was until one morning my mum and I were having a cup of tea in the kitchen and she said that she would something to tell me but not to freak out. She told me that the night before she got up to go to the bathroom but as she passed my room she heard singing. She peered into the room and saw a lady dressed in all white sat on the end of my bed singing to me. The woman didn't turn around or register my mum. However, my mum went on to tell me, casually, that she wasn't concerned because she felt love from the woman. So my mum does her business and goes back to bed. That was the first night in a while that I hadn't had any sleep paralysis. Although, after hearing about the singing woman, I still couldn't sleep with the door closed. Sadly, my mum passed away when I was 21. Every so often, she visits my dreams with a message. The first time, it was just after Christmas and I wasn't very well. I couldn't shift this bug and I felt awful. It must have been going on for over six weeks at this point, but I was so busy, I would try to ignore it and just carry on. That was until she visited my dream. The difference between me dreaming about my mum and actually having my mum visit the dreams is clear. If I'm dreaming, she can talk. If she's visiting, she doesn't or can't talk. In this particular dream, she was wasting away slowly, getting thin and sickly. I woke up realising that I needed to book a doctor's appointment. After a series of tests, I found out that I had celiac disease. Since then, I've had many other dreams about her, always with some kind of message I have to decipher, but I only ever told my husband about these dreams. That was until we went to a mediumship event together, and I was told by two separate mediums that she visits my dreams with messages. 
She's been gone for five years now, but I still get messages from her. I feel like the mum is obviously in touch with the spiritual plane. Yeah, clearly. Because she was seeing it all the way through the stories, wasn't she? All the very different stories. And actually, by proxy, Samantha's had all these experiences at various different ages through her life as well. The little boy, little brother, talking about two men in cowboy hats was funny because it was two men in cowboy hats, but... But also, cowboy hat is a reference point, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you're not going to... If you're three years old and and a man's wearing a big hat, probably cowboy hat, cowboy hat is the easiest thing that you can... Reference. Reference and allude to. Yeah. But it's also terrifying because it's kids seeing things that we can't see again. Yeah, not into that. Yeah. I love the idea that actually all good ghost fighters need a naked action man to go fight ghosts. I think that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love it. First thing you grab, yeah. naked action man, fuck it, we're going to do it yeah. anyway, ma'am. Let's go. Let's do this. And I feel like if you like, if you have got an intruder, if you swing a naked action man hard enough and to the right location, you still do the right job. Yeah, you would. Yeah. So. You could hurt somebody. Like, you've definitely, you've got siblings. You've definitely taken a Barbie to the eye. Or, or, or at least getting whacked in the face with a Barbie. Yeah, like, or just that toys hurts. in general. I mean, the best thing you could do is just throw loads of Lego on the floor and hope they're barefooted. True. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's loads of stuff in this story that really would be quite creepy. I'm, I'm intrigued by the white woman. I no, wonder, the is, she woman, the the same, is she the same woman from when she was a baby that was rocking the... Yeah, maybe. The bassinet. Maybe. And our second story today comes from Hillary. My name is Hilary, and for Emma's benefit, I'm five foot three and 115 pounds. I've not had a lot of paranormal experiences, but this one sticks out as the most unsettling. Back in 2013, during my senior year in college, my roommate and I had our beds bunked, and I slept on the top. This will make sense in a bit. We'd already had one creepy experience where everyone's microwaves freaked out and started turning on and off with timers flashing different numbers. As that was happening, my friend yelled, Stop! You're freaking us out! And they all stopped. Sometime after that, days or weeks, I can't remember, my roommate and I woke up for the day. She asked me if I was okay and if I'd been sick in the night. I told her I was fine and had slept all night. What she said next still makes my stomach drop. But you were walking up and down your ladder and going out into the hall all night. It's still the most chilling thing that anyone has ever said to me. We never had another experience that we know of and we never investigated about it. I trust this girl. She is a very honest person who easily gets scared and would never make up a story like that. My next thing is a bit lighter, but still weird. Ever since I was a small child, I've been able to predict that women are pregnant. Sometimes before they even know it. My mom is not a superstitious person, but will always believe me when I call to say, I had a dream I was pregnant, it must be so-and-so. It always happens that way, where I'm pregnant in the dream, but I know who actually is pregnant in real life. During my own recent pregnancy this past year, I had a very vivid dream where it felt as if my consciousness entered my womb with the baby. 
I could see them in full colour, but I always dream in black and white. I did not know the gender at this point, so I looked. I always suspected I was having a boy, and that dream confirmed it for me. My son was born in August 2019. I love stories like that. That's so cool. I do think like that kind of fits in with the Irish stuff, though, doesn't it? About having a gift. Because it's just like a gift of being able to tell who's pregnant, right? Yeah, it's like a gift of knowing. Yeah, gift of knowing. I guess is what they'd call it. So that's cool. Um, the microwave mischief is weird, isn't it? Like loads of different microwaves going off. Of it. Yeah, that would be freaky, especially in dorm rooms. Because yeah. college dorms are like just a series of bedrooms, yeah. right? Is that right? Yeah. I've never stayed in a college Not dorm. Either, so I'm just saying, yeah, know. based off of films. Based off American films. That's <laughs> all I know of college dorms. Um, the Yeah, that... And and the girl going up and down the oh, like no. I know the, it's probably just sleepwalking right, but it's still terrible. I know the implication is it wasn't her, but even if it was her, that's still fucking really scary. Because I now and this is saying something about my ableness, but I find it quite difficult getting up and down a bunk bed ladder when I'm awake. Yeah. <laughs> so to be able to do it unconsciously, if it was her, because times of is stress incredible can... and weird as well can make you do really weird things mm. right so this um i read this comment on a thread years ago i thought you were gonna say comic then. I was no like, no it was about this girl and she kept waking up with all these symbols being drawn all over her bedroom and she was like what the fuck is going on and they were all like numbers shapes letters and then she went for a nap one night or one day i think like in her clothes on her bed and she was wearing a pair of jeans and she woke up and the jeans were all covered in the symbols that had been drawn all over her. Oh and God. she was really stressed. She was doing it all herself. But she was sleep writing. I think she was in university at the time and was really stressed about assignments. And she Did was she sleep writing. Did she know what the symbols were? Or was it like aliens? No, they were, just, they were just completely like Did random. anybody try and decipher it though? That's the point. I would, I'd imagine she did for quite mm. a long time. Okay. Yeah, creepy either way, isn't it? And to have had such a solid night's sleep as well. Yeah. I've never sleepwalked, so I don't know whether what whether, how you interpret your own sleep when you're in that state of consciousness. Do you know what I mean? Do yeah. To, it'd be interesting to find out with someone that knows that they sleepwalk and what it feels like, whether you're more awake, whether you feel restless in the morning or whether you, you're actually in a really such a deep sleep that you're just completely unaware of it. A guy that I was friends with in uni used to have really bad night terrors. But he would get up and run around the house and do really weird shit, like really weird shit. I remember being asleep, like my bedroom was attached to the kitchen in this particular house and he'd stayed over the night and I had my bedroom door open and I was like lying on my bed on my phone or whatever. And I was, I watched him get up. He spun around on the spot, walked into the kitchen, spun around again on the spot and then went back and lay down again. And I had said to, I was like, morning. And then I was like, oh. Nope, never mind. He's Whoa. he's sleepwalking. That's intense. <laughs> but he said that he would have these really vivid dreams and he would yeah. he would know by his dreams if he had been sleepwalking. Yeah, interesting. The bit that I love about this is the predictions thing. Oh, yeah. I love a good prediction. Love it. It's way less terrifying as well. Yeah, to be able to <laughs> say, hey, that person's pregnant. What a nice gift mm. to have. It's interesting how it's her in the dreams as well, isn't it? But she knows, she knows who, who is pregnant, is, yeah. yeah. That's really fascinating. I've got one more story for you. Oh, jeebus. And our last story today comes from Mark. My mom was a remarkable woman who filled every room with love and joy. I'm already going to cry. 
Good lord. We've had so many mum stories. Right, get it together, Emma. I'm sorry, Mark. I'll start your story again. (sighs) My mom was a remarkable woman who filled every room with love and joy. She was one of those people who could find the good in literally any situation, no matter how bad it was. Born of Greek immigrants, she and my uncle grew up with an appreciation for hard work and humility. She truly cherished every connection she made with people. Both of my parents grew up very poor and abused by their fathers. We won't go into my dad's side other than to say his upbringing was horrific and that he and my uncles strongly defended my aunts and granny from their extremely dangerous father. Dad's side is primarily Scottish, Aberdeen we believe. I'm proud of my Scottish Greek heritage and see it as an incredibly awesome mix of history and flat out badassness. Both of my parents, given their dire circumstances, had no other option than to stick close to their moms and find as much joy in those relationships as possible. Bonds that are forged under such rigorous conditions don't crack easily. I never knew just how strong that was between my mom and Yaya until long after my Yaya had passed. This also is what I believe created the incredibly deep and everlasting love my parents found for each other. Seriously, their story could give The Notebook a good run for its money. (laughs) I doubt I could do it justice if I wrote it, but one day I might try. My papu was a hard drinker, heavy smoker. He was an angry man with a short fuse and a quick hand. My yaya was a tough-as-nails, hard-working woman who accepted this abuse in order to keep the family together. To define just how tough my yaya's side of the family is, I have to give a little history. Yaya, whose name is Tula, grew up in Thessalonica in northern Greece. During World War II, Nazis occupied Greece, which forced Allied forces to blockade the country. Everyone was starving and at times thousands of people died in a single day. It was told to us that Nazis shot and killed my great-uncle for stealing wheat from a field in an attempt to feed his family. Some say this happened to both of her brothers. I'm not 100% sure because I didn't hear this from her, but I do know that death, fear and pain were common. Either my yaya or my great-grandmother had a job cleaning in a hotel. I'm not sure, but I believe it was my yaya. Nazis occupied this hotel to be used as a sort of command post. Yaya was allowed to stay on and clean after them as they ran their day-to-day operations. She used this to her advantage and began to steal every paper they threw away. She would then hand these papers to her boyfriend who was a member of the Greek underground resistance. Once passed to him, those papers would make their way to Allied forces as intel. We have no clue if this resulted in any major changes, but that didn't really matter to her. She just wanted to help her country or die trying. So like I said, my Yaya was one tough woman. Her strength might be what made the main event of this story I tell possible. Yaya immigrated to the US sometime shortly after the end of World War II. 
Her and Papu, not the brave man who transferred the papers, were married and had two children. Uncle Nick and Mom were very close with Yaya, and when I was a child, we would visit my grandparents every weekend. Every holiday, we were there. I mostly remember her final years, but I do have some vague recollection of times walking in the local park with her. As Yaya got older, she suffered from extreme arthritis. Her final years were spent in agony and bedridden. My papu just did what he did best, drinking beer and smoking cigars on the front porch. As this once tremendous woman faded into vulnerability and weakness, my mother was fast at her side. Even though we lived two hours away, my mom took care of all the house cleaning, clothing and groceries. I believe mom tried to give back just as my yaya had given to her. My mom took equal care of my papu even though he was so horrible to her. I can't say it enough, my mom was a remarkable woman. As time does to people, my yaya was taken away from us. This hit my mom hard, very hard. She mourned yaya for months and months as if she had just lost her to the day before. Tormented by this pain, she would beg God to give her peace. Mom told me she prayed daily for understanding, peace and relief. Have you ever met people who truly know God? And even if you don't believe in it yourself, you can see that there is something very real there. Well, that was Mom through and through. So as the days and nights crawled by, she spent much time pleading with God to answer her prayers for peace. What happened next was a life lesson for me. One of the first to teach me about faith and humility. After months of suffering, all of a sudden, one day, my mom was fine. Her pain was visibly gone and her joy began to return. She spoke about it as if she had been given a gift extremely precious. The terrible sorrow and pleading with God ended one night after she had a dream. Mom said that in her dream she was again pleading with God to give her peace and amid her prayer, Yaya appeared. Mom said she could see her sort of arrive from a bright, peaceful light. Yaya spoke to her calmly saying, Georgia, I am fine. I am with God now. I don't know the exact words spoken next, but mom told me Yaya said to stop ignoring the peace God was trying to offer her. Yaya said that God had granted her prayer, but the selfishness of mom to not let go was blocking this. Mom told me Yaya told her she loved her and that she had to go now. And after that, the dream was over. Mom woke up and was immediately at peace. For the first time in months, she was able to enjoy life again. She told me that this was more than a dream. She believed she was literally in the presence of Yaya and in a sense God as well. Mom said it was as real as any day in her life. For me, this proves that spirits are all around us at all times. They are there waiting to speak to us if we just allow ourselves to hear. It also shows me what true love is about and just how strong the connection it makes can be. 
My mom passed away in 2009 after a rapid battle with Alzheimer's. She was, and in my own belief, still is an incredible woman. I miss her so very much, and I believe she looks after me to this day. She was buried in a cemetery here in Concord. Losing her brought about a great change in my life. I quit working for the car dealership and opened up my own shop. Years later, a piece of property came up for sale, giving me an opportunity to own my own building rather than rent. I knew it was the one for us the moment I saw it for reasons beyond the ordinary. One of the many supernatural signs is the one that ties in with my mom. I said she's still watching over me. The building that I bought borders the cemetery where she's been laid to rest. What are the chances? That's a lovely story. I thought it's, it's just very, that, with the um, exposition and the build up to it was, was very, was fascinating as well because it's just a different time and a different time, different place, different circumstances. That's lovely. I don't know what else to say to that really. And I don't think it really matters whether you believe in God or not. You know, like not the storyteller because they obviously, their mum obviously had a great faith and they obviously have faith as well. But as a listener, I don't think it really matters whether you believe in God or not because actually the comfort from somebody telling you that it's okay, you can stop mourning now. Yeah. Is, it must, it must be incredible. I think it's quite a common thing when you lose someone to experience guilt. Yes. And I don't really, I mean, how do you move on from that? I think that's probably the, you know, that's a lovely way to be yeah. able to do that. Because actually it's the, the person themselves saying it's okay. And grieving is so different for us, for everybody, isn't it? Each individual person yeah. grieves completely differently. Whereas some people take it in their stride. Other people find it more difficult. And I think there's something, there is something really powerful about having, forging that bond with your mother, especially in an abusive household yeah i mean that that is a bond that is a you've fought together to Mm. survive like that is a completely different bond so yeah i get why it would be so hard to let go to to grieve and let go of losing your mom actually the pain is a real thing and pain of loss is 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 a hard pain to bear so i get where the cries are coming from so if you enjoyed today's episode, you can find me on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. You can find Dan on Instagram at 50p Movie Club. You can find me on Twitter at Real Ghost Pod. You can find me on Facebook, Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast. Give the page a like and join our super group, which it's is you... RL. What? It's all you know, is it? You oh, it's just me. Yeah. Me on Twitter, <laughs> me on Facebook. <laughs> You're not involved. <laughs> you can find me. <laughs> on Facebook, Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast. Give the page a like and join our supergroup, which is RLGS Supergroup. And the password is... Emma, apparently. Yeah, there's no Emma and Dan anymore. It's just Emma. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to send in your own ghost story, you can do so by sending it to... Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories, where for $5 a month, you can get an extra spooky episode a week. And for $2 a month, you get access to the complete back catalogue of 50p Movie Club, which is... I think we need to start referring to it as the collected works. Oh, the works. Oh, that's very fancy. Yeah, I'll give you that one. You can have that. Collected works. Uh, podcast that me and Dave King currently do, and I used to do with Will, where we watch a movie and we talk about it, and it's usually not very good. 
Uh, I also would like to say that you will probably have heard a reminder about Out of the Woods Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation at the beginning of this episode. You're probably wondering why we've decided to do this. Well, the reality is, is that I bloody love animals. I love animals. I love ghosts. I love food. It's kind of interchangeable, depending on how I'm feeling. Just to put that into context, if you ever wonder, wow, how long do these guys spend recording a podcast? Well... We spend a lot of time doing that, but I spend more time looking at pictures of animals that Emma is showing me on her phone and I do recorded podcasts. Yeah, definitely. Bimmy is a rescue baby. Bless her, little cotton socks. And I have a real admiration for people who rescue and rehabilitate animals. And Sammy in particular saw there was a niche in terms of wildlife rescue and rehabilitation in Memphis and went and got herself trained up to be able to do it, which I think is pretty amazing. So I always feel like if you do good things for the universe, the universe gives good things back to you, you know? So that's why I kind of want to raise money. Well, you know, help her to raise some money so that she can actually rehabilitate little raccoons. She got two raccoons the other night that were really unwell. I'm afraid to look at the update because I I don't want anything to happen to them. <laughs> it's going to make me cry. Trash babies. And on that note, we shall see you tomorrow. Bye.